0: When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. For as you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Thank you. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is David Heinrichs, and I'm also an elder here. I'm on staff um, since 2006, and I've had the privilege of serving in a lot of different departments, uh, mostly youth and teens. uh, But I've done a lot of other things and I've worked with, um, I would say, close to 80% of you at some level on some ministry team. Um, And so I look out and I see some I don't know, but most I do, and I'm very happy to see everybody here this morning. Uh, the first Sunday of 2016. And so as we come here, uh, I want to open up the scriptures. I want to look at Genesis 50 and just see what the Lord has for us. So let's take a moment and just pray before we begin. We, Father God, we pray for uh, your spirit to come. We have your word. We have your people. And now we need your spirit to uh, help us understand what your word is saying. To help apply it to our stone cold hearts so i pray that spirit you would break them you'd melt our hearts and help us to see and understand but then also to agree with and want to follow after you and then give us what we need motivation empowerment triumph joy humility so we pray for those things earnestly in jesus name amen this is the end of the beginning genesis the beginning of all things and this is the end of Genesis. This is the end. This is the last sermon. Next week we're going to start a series, or we're going to continue the series through Exodus and the rest of the Pentateuch. Uh, but but this is the end of Genesis, and so really this is the end of the beginning. On the beginning, being that it's the first week in 2016. And as we uh, look back over the last year, what we do every New Year's is common to all of us. We look back over the year and we, we think of all the things that we did and all the things that we accomplished or many things we didn't accomplish and many things that we didn't do very well. And we learn from all of our mistakes and we move positively into the future, into 2016, with new vision and new goals. That's typically what we do on New Year's. And that's kind of what we're doing with Genesis as well. As we look back over the 50 chapters that we have been studying, we finally end with Joseph's life and now Joseph's death and Jacob's death at the end of Genesis. And we look for all the things that happened through Genesis. And with all the things we learn, all the lessons we can move forward into the new year, 2016. And when I did that, when I kind of uh, just looked at Genesis and prepared for today, what I found was that every lesson and every character and every person in Genesis had a common sort of lesson that they learned. There's a core concept. There's a a, a thread that connects all the stories together, all through the 50 chapters. And you can see this thread in every one of those stories. And the lesson that we learned, the theme that we see from Genesis, although there's many lessons to learn, the one I came up with, what I saw, really is about identity. Our identity. God's identity. Trying to figure out who we are, trying to figure out who God is. And there's a negative side to this lesson and a positive side. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin, right? One side is negative and one side is positive. Unfortunately, I think what I I get when I read Genesis and I think about Genesis is I hear a shout of the negative and a whisper of the positive. That's at least until Genesis 50 where Joseph comes on the scene and we see his life and we see the end of his life. And we see the the reconciliation of him and his brothers. Then the positive becomes crystal clear. Now we hear hints and whispers of the positive, but but mostly the negative. Let me let me show you what I mean. We're going to look at the negative first. First, I think the the negative is stated this way about identity. You are not God. You're not God. But is that enough? Is that enough for us to just be told that we're not God to to be told that we've sinned? We've made mistakes. Is that enough? Or can we move on from that and and have more information? You know, uh, correction does much good, but encouragement does much more good. When I was in high school, I was in a play called The Glass Menagerie. It was written by Tennessee Williams. A lot of you know this this play, right? And it was one of the plays, the first play he wrote that really broke him out and made him famous. And, and the play is really depressing. So if you're looking for a good mood, a good pick-me-up, feel-good kind of play, don't, don't listen to this one. The basic idea is this, this young lady is getting a little bit older in life, and she doesn't have a husband. And her mother's getting really worried about her. But she has two problems, you see. The first problem is that she's crippled. And she hobbles around, and she can't really get anywhere, you know, on her own very well. And the, the second problem she has is she's incredibly shy to a fault. So this young lady has, I mean, her mom's thinking there's no chance of her ever getting married. So she looks at her other, her son and says, Hey, you're the older brother. Go to your factory work, you know, your, your job and go find a gentleman caller, bring him home. Let's have dinner. Try to get her married. Try to set her up. And so he does that. He finds this gentleman caller named Jim O'Connor. And then Jim O'Connor comes home as this guy that maybe will marry this young lady. Well, that was me in high school. I was jim o 'Connor, and my role was to sit down and have a great meal and then and then the mom and the, the brother go away and then we sit down and talk about the glass menagerie that she has, the collection of figurines and Through that conversation, we have an interest with each other, and through that conversation, we start to like each other and we kiss and uh, <laughs> It was awkward. I mean, in high school, you're kissing a girl. You're like, Ooh, this is awkward. But I got through the kiss, and I knew, and you know, even in rehearsal, we had to kiss. It was bad, but we had, to, you know, we. I stood up from this kiss and immediately backed away. And my line was, "I thought I should under, I, I thought I should explain the situation, in case you misunderstood." And then, I explained and I broke her heart that I was engaged, and I basically said, "I'm sorry," and I left. The brother and the mom come back. The brother's angry. The mom's angry. The brother gets so frustrated, he leaves home and never comes back. And the ending is the mom and the daughter are kind of left alone. So that's that's a very sad... (laughs) Sad story. It was way over my head in high school. I was like, "This is terrible. <laughs> you know, what is this? Problem? What is this play?" Well, here's the way I approached that line. You know, I, I thought, "Okay, I've really got to nail this because it's the pivotal point of the play. I've got to get it right." Right. So I, I practiced it in front of the mirror over and over and over and over again. And I, I did it angry, and I did it self righteous, and I did it. I didn't care. I don't care about you. Like I just kind of was aloof. I did it like I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar, and I was kind of defensive. I did it all kinds of different ways i read it a lot and then in in rehearsal i stood up and i I delivered the line the way i think it should be delivered and the director stopped the rehearsal no no david david not like that not like that all right everybody we're gonna try it again try it again from the top david go ahead and i was like okay not like that what does that mean Uh, okay let's try it a new way and i tried it a new way "No, no 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 david not like that not like that no stop stop you're not doing it right try a different way Okay, tried it a third way. No, 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 not like that. He stopped it a third time. Now I stop the rehearsal and I say, Okay, Mr. Director, sir, with all due respect. If not like that, then and you can feel what I'm gonna say next on. If not like that, then how should I do it? I know the negative. I know what you're saying, but I don't know how I need more guidance. I need more clarity. And you know what he told me? I don't know, you're the actor. I'm 15. I don't know what I'm doing. Please help me. And so I needed a positive encouragement. And so when we get into Genesis, a lot of times I think we hear the negative. But do we hear the positive? Do we hear the direction for the future? Yes, I know I'm not God, but then what am I? Give me some understanding of what I am. And that's that's where I kind of feel that we are today. The negative is easy to see. You can see it kind of is this thread strung through every story. The positive is a whisper or hint. Let me, let me demonstrate this to you. In creation, God creates the world and the animals and the plants, and then he makes man. And man is a little higher than the animals, right? He's a little higher than the animals. And so man is to rule and have dominion and have qualities that God has. We share some characteristics with God, right? We're, we're different than the animals. He sets us apart. And yet he says very clearly, you're to be the image of God, the image of God. OK, I think I get that. I think I understand what that means. Don't be God, but be like God. OK, I get it. OK, but then Adam, he comes into the garden, right? And then here's the serpent say a couple of things to him, doesn't he? He says, you surely will not die if you eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree. Right. That then you will know right from wrong by yourself. You will get to determine your own morality. And guess what? You'll be like God. So Adam steps out of the image of God and into the role of God to determine his own right and wrong. And then God comes. And what does he do? He curses. He promises death. And he exiles. It's like wham, wham. wham. The negative is shouting at you. You're not God. You're the image of God. And then there's this hint of a positive. Through Eve's seed, there will be a person who will come and step on your head and crush your head, serpent. And you'll bruise his heel. That's a hint. We're not quite sure what that means at this point, but we have a hint. And then you move into Cain, and what does Cain do? Takes matters into his own hands and kills his brother. He steps out of the image of God, following God, his, his direction, his, his will for his life, and he takes life into his own hands and kills his brother. What does God do? He comes and he exiles Cain. And then Cain's descendants grow, and it becomes more violent than ever before. You read Genesis 6. Now, here's the thing. If you have a real thin or superficial theology on sin, just read Genesis 6. Here's the line. Every heart, every inclination of every heart was only evil all the time. That is total depravity right at your doorstop. There it is, delivered to you. Every inclination of every heart, only evil all time. And God comes, and what does he do? He destroys everything with a flood. And there's a whisper and a hint of salvation for Noah. Here's directions, here's materials. I'm calling animals. Build an ark that will save you. So there's a hint there. Okay, so we move on. Noah's descendants grow. They make a tower, a, a big tower. They want to make a name for themselves. And these people are definitely stepping out of the image of God And becoming God themselves, doing things only God should do, gathering praise and worship and admiration and respect for themselves, making their name great. What does God do when he comes? It's a negative. It's a shout. You're not God. Scatters them, confuses their language. And then from, from the Tower of Babel comes Abraham. Now, there, here's the first time you really get a real good picture of what this positive is, right? That you're not God, so what are you? So here it is with with Abraham. He calls him and he says, I'm going to produce for you and Sarah a seed that will then become like the sand and like the stars and be so numerous. You'll be great. I'll bless you. I'll bless you more. And I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So you're so blessed. And you will become a blessing for the rest of the world. And that's when Abraham kind of says, oh, that's great. That's a a positive spin. I like that. And I can see it more clearly now, can't I? But what happens? He looks at his barren wife, Sarah, and he says, God promised us this. My goal is the image of God to follow after God. But what do I do instead? I step out of the image of God and I make a child because it's not on my timetable. I don't trust God. I don't think he's doing what he's supposed to. So I'm going to do it. And he takes over for God, and Ishmael is born from Hagar. And then God comes, gives them Isaac from his barren wife, miraculous child. And he says, send Ishmael away, you dope. I I didn't want that. Send him away, and just so you trust me, sacrifice your, your only son. Now, you know the end of that story. It ends well, and Isaac gives birth to Jacob, who again is born, he is the image of God, not God himself. But what does Jacob do? He deceives, he grabs, he, he, he gets things for himself and he, he tries to, to sort of just get his own inheritance and make himself great by his own efforts, ends up running away from his brother and then wrestles with God trying to prevail over God. And then when God comes, he touches his hip and cripples him and gives him a new name and that name shouts what you're not. You're not God. God will prevail is his new name, you see. You're the image of God. Stop stepping out. So we hear through the stories all of this negative, you're not God, you're not God. But then in Jacob, he remembers the promises of God that his seeds will grow and and become a nation. And through that nation, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. But then we end with Jacob's life. He's got his 12 sons. He sees the nation. He's growing. And then two bad things happen. First, his youngest favorite son dies. Second, famine comes. Now, for Jacob, he is lost in a dark hopelessness. Perhaps Jacob has lost faith in God. And he's tempted once again, I'm sure, to come out of the image of God and try to make it happen on his own. But then you know the story, and that's where we end today. Joseph resurfaces he reappears he's not dead he was sold into slavery now he's second in command with with pharaoh in egypt and all of a sudden they're going to settle in the land of goshen in egypt they're going to have plenty of food to eat and jacob's faith is restored and now at the end of jacob's life we see that he's died and what happens this is where the positive really gets clear All of the hints and whispers that you've seen in Genesis, it becomes very, very clear at the end of this book right here when Joseph encounters his brothers. Now, remember, this is the second time that Joseph has encountered his brothers. The first time he revealed himself to his brothers and said, bring Jacob 17 years before our passage this morning. All right? So he said, I forgive you, don't worry about it, God sent me here, you didn't come, you, you didn't send me to Egypt, God sent me to Egypt, I'm, I forgive you, let's move on, Okay, I'm not angry. And that's where we pick up in Genesis chapter 50. Look down, if you would, at um, verse 15. Verse 15 is where we're going to start. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for All the evil, all the wrongdoing that we have done to him. So they have a fearful heart. In other words, the the brothers say that Joseph was holding out revenge until dad died. Now that Jacob's gone, he's coming for us. What are we going to do? Now, almost every commentary I read, almost certainly they say this is a lie letter never was written by jacob in other words the brothers made it up and i think the logic goes this way the brothers panic and they say this is terrible there's only two people in the face of the earth that are more powerful than joseph that can really manage joseph and make him change his mind one is pharaoh and we don't have anything with pharaoh and one is jacob and he's dead now what do we do we have, we have to come up with something. So they go to Joseph and they say, hey, dad told us to give you this letter. I'm not sure what it says, but go ahead and open it up. He commanded, he told us, instructed us to give this to you with the authority of Jacob. Listen to his words. And then it's, oh, please forgive their transgression, their sin. And they use God's name and the God of your, you know, the father of your God. All this trying to get Joseph to stay his revengeful hand from seeking vengeance well a fearful heart is the breeding ground for deception that's true what is joseph's response to this fearful heart that he witnesses from his his brothers it says that he weeps you see that he weeps that's what made ray charles so popular that when he sang he cried those of you who know his music know that's true That when he sang, there was this authenticity, this gut feeling that just came through his music really, really well. He said these words. You know, crying is a way for me to get out things buried deep, deep down. That's true. We we all know that's true. And that's what Joseph is doing here. Things that were buried deep, deep down 17 years ago when he first revealed himself to his brothers have now come back up. Well... Joseph is now in a place where he could either exact revenge, rightfully so, right? Justice is justice, or he can have mercy. And what does he do? He says, Fear, fear not, don't be afraid. How can Joseph say that? It's because Joseph has a very clear understanding of who he is, of his identity. It's not just, you're not God. It's not just that. It is that, but it's not just that. It's also, he has a very clear understanding of his identity. You know, the next phrase clarifies it, and here we go. It's in verse, um, I'm looking for it, 19. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You see that? Am I in the place of God? Of course I'm not. I'm the image of God, but I'm not in the place of God. If anybody had reason to think they were in the place of God, (laughs) think of all the other characters in Genesis, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Cain, all these guys, you know, there's no way that they could really think they were God. But Joseph was elevated to the second highest, most powerful place, probably in all the ancient world, in Egypt, at least. Yeah, maybe we can understand Joseph getting a little confused about his being God, right? He's in control, he's got power, he can do anything he wants. But Joseph understands, am I in the place of God? And the next phrase is very helpful. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. God intended it for good. I was thinking the other day that most Christians... Salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. It's true. We think it, we acknowledge it, we say it, but we really live our lives out in a different way. What Joseph is saying when he says God intended it, you know what he's saying? God did it. God started it. He's the source. He's the one that intended it. Not me, not you, not Pharaoh. Not Potiphar, right? God intended it. He's the start. And guess what? He's also the end. We'll get to that in a second. But he's the start. And it's very interesting for him to go through his life and ask the question, who intended this? Who intended for Joseph to be the favored son and given a coat of many colors? A lot of us would say, well, Joseph did. But really, it was God who intended that. Who who got his brother who intended his brothers to hate him? God intended that. Who gave Joseph a dream? God did. Wasn't Jacob who gave him a dream. Joseph wasn't making it up. Right. And then when Joseph displayed his dream to his brothers, he was having a lot of fun, wasn't he? Hey, guess what? Older brothers, me and my colored robe here are going to tell you a dream I had from the Lord. One day you'll bow down and worship me. How's that for you? And just to make sure, you know, that he got it through, he had another dream and then he explained it again to his brothers. God was intending all of that to happen just like that so that the brothers would throw him in a pit. Who intended Simeon to stand up and say don't kill him, let's sell him into slavery. God did. Jo- Joseph is he's reflecting over his whole life thinking God intended all of this. Who raised me up in the in the Potiphar's house? God did. Who intended for me to be falsely accused and thrown into prison? God did. Who raised me up in the jail? It says God was with me. God was with Joseph. God intended it. And finally raised them up to the second highest, just below Pharaoh. In in fact, it was God who intended all of it. Notice, it's not just the blessings that God intended. It's the suffering. When Joseph says the word it, the precedence for the word it, that it points to, is the letter that the brothers wrote. And what did they say? Forgive our evil, our transgression, our sin. God intended that for good. God takes, go out in your lawn, you see a mole, mole hill really, you don't see the mole, but you see the mole hill. God takes your mole hill and he makes it a monument for his glory. That's what Joseph sees. It, that's what it means not to be God, that, that, to see that God intends the things in my life for good. Now, what does the word good mean? This is really where we're getting clarity on our identity. A lot of times we default to my good, right? God did it for my good. Joseph could certainly say that. He intended all these bad things to happen, all these good things and all these bad, and the roller coaster of my life so I could end up... Second in charge of Egypt. It's it's really all about me. But if Joseph said that, he would be stepping out of the image of God and into the place of God. If the good things and bad things and everything, if it all terminates on me, right, then I am acting like God, not man. So good doesn't mean that. Let's look at what he says about what good means. Look down in verse 19 again. I'm reading out of the NIV. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Well, Joseph gets his clarity, doesn't he? And I think we do too. What does it mean? To be a follower of God. To be in the image of God. To follow after him. It means, in this case, Joseph is saying, I'm a delivery system for the salvation of God. That's what I am, positively. I'm not God, I get that. But, but I'm, a, I'm a delivery system for God's salvation. That's what I am. And guess what? Guys, this is where we find the joy of our life. This is where we find Humility and purity when we act like we're designed to act when we behave and think and feel the way we're designed to be god designs us this way my dad has a, a old corvette mid 90s corvette and it's really fun to drive and uh, but if you take that corvette and you drive it out on freeman park you know the north side of carolina beach You know what's going to happen. Even if you rev up the engine and you go 150 miles an hour, the Corvette's not designed to drive on the sand. It's going to get stuck. It's going to be dead in the sand. And that's what you and I do when we step out of the image of God and into the role of God and try to handle things on our own and try to do things that only God can do. And so in this case, Joseph says, I'm, I'm a delivery system. Let me give you some analogies. Many wars have been fought where bombs have been dropped. And, and you know this, that bombs have to be carried to the location and then dropped on top of it. So there's a B-52 or a flying fortress or some kind of a, a bomb-carrying plane, and it flies over the city, and then you know the, the door opens and the bombs fall out and, and destroy its target. What if the bomber, the B-52, flew over the city with no bombs? That'd be worthless. It'd be useless. What's the point of that? So you need bombs, essential to have bombs. But here's the catch. The bombs won't fly themselves. Now, I didn't say can't because we're talking about God here. God's the bomb. You're the B-52. If you haven't picked that up yet, if we're calling God a bomb, right, he's going down and exploding. God can, can deliver himself wherever he wants to. But Joseph realizes that God insists through Adam, through the promise of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, and now to Joseph, God insists on us being the delivery system for his explosive salvation. Now, I know that bomb kills people, so that's not a really good... Let's use a different one, and I know there's a lot of kids here with us today, so this will help you feel a little bit better, like God's going to bomb me. no. Let's talk about this. You know, you're Saturday afternoon. You hear that little jingle in the house. Boom. You're underneath the couch. You're underneath the bed looking for loose change. You're begging your mom because, you know, the ice cream truck's coming. And you run outside and you buy ice cream, right? So God is the ice cream and we are the ice cream truck that's a much better one because what we do is we go out to the neighborhoods and we we advertise we herald we announce good news and then when they come when we come to them and they come and we we meet them we give them the glorious salvation of god and that's what i'm talking that's where you find joy that's where i find joy the most joy of, of, of anything think about this and i'll end on this note saving of many lives is the great news of the gospel, and we are the delivery system of that great news. Do you save people? Are they saved by what you do? No, that's God's role, you see. Joseph knows that. Even Joseph, second in command, who came up with this whole plan of saving food and predicting dreams, but he knew that he wasn't the savior but the delivery system. Let me give you an, an example. We were... Um very excited to see a lot of our friends and every one of my daughter's friends go to see star wars and did you know that disney kind of made it difficult i know some of you college kids are like what are you talking about difficult it's pg-13 all right it's difficult because all your kids want to do is go to star wars but it's pg-13 so it's like you know if you take your kids who are under 13 you don't know if it's going to be good or not so now i'm scrambling on plugged in and i'm talking to my friends this is a good movie i'm bringing a jacket to put over their eyes i don't know i'm trying to make this possible here Thanks a lot, Disney, but we finally we we discuss this and we're talking about it and we tell our kids it's probably a no. We'll just wait for it to come out on Redbox. And but meanwhile, everybody's seeing it and talking about it and, you know, spoiling it for everybody else saying who. Yeah, just not talking about it. Okay, so (laughs) no spoilers. Sorry. (laughs) So anyways, uh, so now we're we're kind of excited about this movie and we look over at each other one night. Girls were playing in their rooms and Shelly and I said, you know what? Let's just take a little bit of money. Well, let's take a lot of money and uh, and go out and see this movie. What do you think? We'll just make it a surprise. Yeah, let's do that. That's a great idea. We got time tonight. So we called the girls in. Hey, girls, come on. They hopped on the bed, and and we're about to tell them the surprise. We're going to go see Star Wars. And then, boom, it would explode with joy. You know how that is. Kids are jumping around. So I said, in my clever way, I said, all right, well, there's two things, girls. First, you have to clean your rooms. Oh, you know, this kind of like... Ooh. And then, and then right before I said it, I looked over at Shelley. We looked at each other, and we kind of we smiled, and we knew it. We, we almost fought about who was going to tell him, but I won. I got to tell him. I was the one that got to tell him. I'm so happy. I'm so joyful. And guess what? I'm so humble. Am I the star of the show? No. Did I have to worry about how to make the movie? No. Do I have to hire the actors and get them to say it right and do all the – I don't have to worry about any of that. All I have to do is deliver Star Wars to them. That's my role. That's what I'm designed for. Isn't isn't that what you're designed for? And right before I said, let's go to Star Wars, it's a surprise. I felt the most joy and surprising to me, the most humility at the same time. And that's what Joseph experiences clarity in the positive understanding through all the negative and all the you're not God. You're not God. Don't do it like that. How am I supposed to do it? This is how you're supposed to do it. Joseph, think about this. True humility. True joy is not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. It's true. True joy and true humility is also not thinking too low of yourself. True joy and true humility is not thinking of yourself at all. And that's the lesson of Joseph for us today. But Joseph knows, we know, and when Moses presented this, he knew this too that that Joseph really is a picture, an example. He's an example of the savior, the true savior who does save god himself came became flesh came to earth to dwell among us and here it is he came in a body and was broken for us and and jesus comes and he's torn apart for our sake jesus comes and he he's the blood that was shed for our sins this is the savior jesus was betrayed by his brothers Falsely accused. Jesus. Jesus was actually killed. But when Jesus died. He was risen. And he sits now in the right hand of God. And guess what Jesus says to you and me today. And This is what I want you to remember as we take communion together. This is the picture I want you to have. Of Joseph calling Jacob and the twelve. To come Come to Egypt, find, find your rest, find your sustenance, find your survival, find your joy here in Egypt. And Jesus says, I go and I prepare a place for you. So let's remember Jesus. Let's participate with Jesus in his broken body and his shed blood today.